Cut the Crest presents The Screening Room Hi, and welcome back to The Screening Room, everybody. Hi, um, hope you've all had a good week. God, that sounded so insincere. No, but I really mean it. I hope everybody is happy. I hope everybody is satisfied with what they're doing. I hope, um, yeah, I hope things are going good for you. So last week, uh, last Saturday, so where are we? We're we're on Friday right now, um, Friday 19th of May. So you should be listening to this, uh, well, I mean, this is going out on the 22nd of May, Monday 22nd. I don't know when you're going to be listening to it. This could be... 50 years in the future, I don't I don't know. If so, hey, greetings from the past. Greetings from 2023. Uh, yeah, anyway, <laughs> last, uh, last Saturday, I was a guest um, at a really small, sort of almost old school in nature uh, Transformers convention up in Birmingham. Uh, when I say old school in nature, not that I was there for these, but in the 80s and you know, 90s even, uh, uh, from photos and stuff that I've seen, the, you know, conventions for things like comic books and movies and th- that kind of stuff, they, they looked like they, they were quite small kind of affairs, maybe in a, in a small um, meeting room, not meeting room, not small, not small in that sense, but you know, like a, like a room in a hotel kind of affair with a few tables, with guests signing and maybe some traders and stuff you know selling whatever comic books toys posters you know whatever uh and this one kind of it felt like that it's a it's a small transformers convention called uh transformers uk convention so tf uk con to fuck con part of my language uh and this was the second year so i went i went along last year and uh and it's a really nice little thing actually if you're into transformers um obviously if you're not into transformers then why are you there you're not going to have a good time uh or you maybe you will maybe you will i'm not, I'm not going to judge but uh it's a small sort of affair you know maybe a couple of hundred people max in a room um sort of uh you know wedding reception style tables dotted around there were a few um there were a handful of guests there um including myself i was one of those guests um and uh, and a handful of of traders, you know, people selling merchandise, uh, t-shirts, Transformers figures, comics, things like that. Um, and it's a really nice little event, actually, a really sort of community-driven event, a really tight-knit group, from what I can tell. Um, their Facebook group is is very good. Um, they've even got a they've even got a sort of a, a sister group on Facebook. Um, you should check it out. Actually, it's called Transformers, or no, it's called TFUK Open Door. And it's essentially uh, about mindfulness and mental well-being and mental health. So, like, if you've got a problem or whatever, you can go there, um, kind of air your grievances uh, or air your issues um, anonymously or as yourself, whatever you prefer. And, you know, hopefully get some feedback or get some help uh, or get some just any kind of sort of support, um, unprofessional support, mind you, I must add that. It's not a substitute for actually seeing a therapist. So if you're really suffering, um, yeah, maybe, well, you can continue listening to this. I was going to say stop listening to this and go get some help. But uh, you can listen to this and go get help after or 
or go get help now and listen to this after. I, I don't know what, you know, but just uh, get it seen to. Um, yeah, okay, anyway, I'm rambling a bit. But uh, so, yeah, I, I was a guest at this thing um, along with uh, a couple of YouTube stars. Uh, I say stars, I mean, you may not have heard of them, but if you're into Transformers, uh, you probably have heard of them. Um, the one of the chaps actually, his name is Chris McFeely. So he was he's quite interesting. I didn't unfortunately I didn't get a chance to meet him, but uh, actually he he has a he has a channel on YouTube where he talks about Transformers lore characters and and the history of those characters through different media. In fact, while I was making my Unicron drawing, uh, which you can go check out, it's called the Chaos Bringer. Um, it's, you can check that out on my Facebook page. Go go visit. That just look for Rupert Vade and you'll you'll find me, uh, and hopefully the work. Anyway, yeah. While I was making that, I was listening to his YouTube video on Unicron. You know, so that was that was kind of cool. Um, anyway, uh, so I was lucky enough to meet for the first time uh, British Transformers artist Andrew Wildman, and uh, meeting again for I've met him a few times before. Um, Transformers writer Simon Furman. So to put things into context, as a kid when I was growing up in the eighties. Um, at my most impressionable, I was reading Transformers comics and Andrew Wildman, Simon Furman and Jeff Senior, Jeff Senior is another artist who I hope to get on the show one day, um, were the three, like, I wouldn't say influences, but they were just a massive part of my upbringing. Um, and a massive, uh, well, yeah, okay. Influence, I suppose in, at that time, uh, sort of eight, nine year old me, making me want to be a comics artist. Uh, yeah, they were just so, they were, they were just such an integral part of my childhood. And I was fortunate enough um, to be there at the show with them. And I took it upon myself to interview them, basically, and just talk to them about their lives, their career, and if they've got any advice for young upstarts who want to who wanna maybe follow in their paths. Um, so, yeah, uh, without further ado, Further ado, um, here is Andrew Wildman, artist extraordinaire, and Simon Furman, writer extraordinaire, both of which actually have got ties to the film and television industries because Simon's written for television and film, and Andrew uh, Wildman's worked in film doing in various capacities, uh, things like storyboards and whatnot, and he actually storyboarded the uh, recent Luther film. That you know the feature-length version of the BBC TV series Luther, uh, and that film was a Netflix uh, project. So um, you may or may not know about that, but go check it out. Um, Luther is an amazing series uh, featuring uh, Idris Elba, and Andrew actually did the yeah the storyboards for that. So that's kind of cool. We I think we do we scratch that surface maybe or maybe not. I can't remember, but uh, yeah, uh, here they are: uh, Andrew Wildman and Simon Furman. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah. Welcome back to the screening room, everyone. Hi. I hope this thing's working and recording. Um, I'm joined today uh, by Simon Furman and uh, Andrew Wildman, two of uh, Transformers comics creators that I grew up listening to. Uh, sorry, watching, reading, um, looking at. I am gonna have to cut. Oh, I'm making an absolute, absolute hodge of this. Uh, okay. So. We're just going to, Simon, I'll start with you if that's okay. Um, so basically, you're a writer. Um, I'm quite interested in how people start out, um, where they come from, how much of their sort of childhood 
comes along with them into their adult lives. Uh, so, what kind of stuff were you reading? What were you interested in as a kid growing up that kind of brought you into this world? Well, I mean, I grew up with uh, British comics of the day. You know, we're talking sort of late 60s into the early 70s. And these were comics like Lion and Valiant and, and Smash and other sort of British boys comics of the era. But, you know, very quickly after that, through the reprints, I started to discover Marvel comics. You know, we, ha we had the black and white reprints that Alan Class did, and then they were in Fantastic and Terrific, and then finally we got Mighty World of Marvel and Spider-Man Comics Weekly. And I think that was when my interest turned from, well, this is something kids do, you read comics, into something, you know, somewhat more obsessive, I guess. You know, I, re you know, I, I think I became a collector at the point where it got to the Marvel comics because they encourage collection. You know, the British comics were often short hits of story, but the Marvel comics, you know, Spider-Man in particular, you were invested in the characters and the storyline rolled on you know, even if an individual story arc finished, there were un there were subplots and the life of Peter Parker that rolled on continuously. And I think that was when I, I started to get interest more than just a little hit of action adventure. This was something you could invest in. And, and so I think that's what I took forward with me later when I sort of got back into comics again. You know, I had that spell like you do in your teenage years where you get rid of comics and you're interested in girls and things. Yeah, yeah. But then very quickly, once I picked up a comic again, I thought, no, I love this stuff and I still love it. And the Marvel comics have moved on a lot since I last read one. And then suddenly I was scrabbling around trying to find back issues. And, and so from there, I think I was just hooked and that became a chance to write myself when I went to work for IPC magazines and got drafted in as assistant editor on Scream, a British horror comic, or, you know, junior creepy tales. It wasn't really horror. And, you know, th I, they gave me a chance to write. And, you know, at first I was just deep end and deer in the headlights. But it very quickly, just by looking at what other people had done and scripts and taking advice... I started to hone the ability to tell stories, which I kind of always had. You know, even as a kid at school, I used to fill notebooks with badly illustrated prose stories. But, you know, I think the storytelling gene was in me right from the start. And it just found its outlet in a medium I loved. Yeah, that's, that's amazing. Right, so did you study the subject then like how did you find yourself you just submitted stuff to editors uh, it was wing and a prayer i ended up really just talking to editors through my job at ipc yeah. and other creators i was meeting people like john wagner and steve dillon and you know these amazing kind of creative people so i was talking to them on a social level which was great i was reading 2000 ad so i was seeing what they were producing and it was just a, an atmosphere where I could go and grab things. I was working for IPC, so hanging around the 2000 AD offices, I could sit with a bunch of John Wagner scripts or Pat Mills scripts and, you know, a Jerry Finley Day, you know, and I would read and I was learning, I suppose, just the, the art of the craft because it wasn't, you know, a lot of people can tell a story, but telling a comic story requires a, a skill set. 
it's it's telling a story in abbreviated form or jumping between one action then you move on and it's another action so I was just learning it you know on the fly really no formal teaching whatsoever no, that's, uh, yeah, that's, that's interesting actually because well, I think I'll stick with Simon just for a minute because there's a nice lead in I suppose as I mentioned earlier you, you'd, you'd said before a few years ago that um, you then started writing for that you have written for television and film and things like that so um, it wasn't actually until I think about 2012 for me when I bought one of your scripts uh, I think it was at a show a small show in Maidstone that I realized that comic books were also written with scripts you know and the formatting and everything was very similar to to tv and film um so how that transition for you how did well how did it come about um and how did you find that transition because it sounds like maybe it was not as difficult as i'm thinking it may have been uh it was difficult i mean i it's quite it it looks similar but it's really not and i hadn't really written a screenplay before but when I met Bob Forward and Larry Dottilio at uh, BopCon in 1997, they had read my stuff and they thought it would be cool if I jumped in and wrote an episode of Beast Wars, a, a G1-themed episode. And I floated various story ideas in front of them, which was no problem at all. And But when it came to it, the episode I ended up writing was the final episode of Beast Wars. And I was writing it in conjunction with Bob forward who did part one of the story and that was good in a way because I could see what Bob was doing and Bob was very much holding my hand through the, the script writing process so he was just saying no 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 that won't work you've got to think of budget you've got to think you know all these things that you you just think you can do anything it's yeah. it's animation in comics you can you can have a thousand warriors on horseback and a, a spaceships attacking them you know but in, in TV animation, everything has to, especially computer animation, it all has to be modelled, it all has to be budgeted. You know, you can't have an action sequence every five seconds, which is my sort of default. So, you know, I think it was just, they taught me just, as well as the kind of, the formatting of a script, they taught me the reality of a script for anything, be it a, a animated TV series, a film, TV drama, you know, you've got to be realistic. You've got to be yeah. realistic. You've got to think budget in your head as you're writing. You know, it cannot be what you'd want it to be. So he was, he was great. He held my hand. And then when, even though Beast Wars finished at that point, he took me with him to subsequent assignments. I worked on a series called Roswell Conspiracies, Alien Myths and Legends. Fantastic. I wrote about eight episodes for that. And that was where I really got kind of confident about it. And Bob was very encouraging. And they took a lot of my ideas and almost pivoted their direction for the the show on them. And so I got a lot of confidence through that. And then I followed him on to Dan Dare, X-Men Evolution. You know, and, and then I think we both worked on Legend of the Dragon. Legend of the Dragon? Legend of the Something. Anyway, but, you know, so, yeah... And then we both ended up working on a show called The Matt Hatter Chronicles for a British company. And on that, I was both, again, thanks to Andrew, because he recommended me, I was both the script editor and I was writing scripts as well. So I got even more immersed in 
the what you can and can't do, what yeah. where the boundaries are, what is achievable yeah. in a twenty-minute animated short, you know, or short film. So yeah, it just over the course of that, I think I got confident enough to call myself an, a TV writer. Right, that's interesting. So Andrew, you were already in, you were already immersed in that world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd. Um, how did I start in TV? I can't remember. Well, actually, my first work in TV was came from you, I think, because somebody that Simon had worked briefly with on something for Granada TV or something like that. Who was he was then working on a, a project in London, um, and they needed a character designer. So Simon mentioned me because they were looking for a character designer for this. Um, TV show and they wanted somebody with a comic book style so they got in touch with me and I did that just design characters that was easy right. and I think that was that was my first in with TV so my first TV work was um, character design and um, well production design so designing characters and props and okay. all that kind of thing um, so I did that and then I through from there I did some other things for a while, and then I was asked to go and work on Matt Hatter Chronicles, this show that eventually Simon came into. And I was production designer on that, designing, you know, environments and characters and props and all sorts of things. Um, and it was on that show that I went back a year later as a storyboard artist. Um, I had done bits of storyboarding for a computer games company that I worked for, sort of 99, 2000, around about that time. So I'd already done a little bits of storyboarding, but just for computer games. Um, but yeah, then got the opportunity to do it in TV and just loved it. Absolutely loved it. And and the way that the way that the TV industry works is very similar to the comics industry in in as much as people go onto jobs and they move on to different jobs. And so there's this whole network of people moving around. You meet lots of different people, and then somebody who you've worked with before, they'll ring you and say, oh, I'm in such and such a show. Do you want to come and work on this one? Um, so I started to do a lot of work in kids kids' TV, like preschool you know, storyboarding. Um, and then in amongst all of that, so none of this was very linear. There was, a, there was another time in amongst all these different things that I was doing where um, because of a contact that I'd had in a com- computer games company, back in sort of turn of the century, I suppose. Ten years later, he um, he got in touch with me and he said, oh, do you remember me? I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and he, in that time, he'd set up his own visual effects company in London. And he was doing, a, he was doing visual effects for a, a BBC show called The Fades. It was like yeah. a teen sci-fi thing, okay. horror sci-fi. And... Um, and they needed a storyboard artist on that, so I met the director. So that was my first work in live action TV, and that was it. Then I did a few other different bits of work in advertising, whatever. And then <coughs> that director, who I'd got on very well with, a couple of years later, rang me up and he said, "Oh, I'm working on a, another show for the BBC. Do you want to come and do um, storyboards for it?" And I was like, "Yeah, great. What is it?" And it was Doctor Who. Oh, amazing! So okay. it's like. Wow, I'm really starting to get into this now, you know. And and as a result, result of working on Doctor Who, um, 
the way that a TV series like Doctor Who works is that they'll get in a director to, to direct one or two episodes, and then they'll get in another director to earn a, to, to direct a couple more. Yeah. And so as the, the go-to storyboard artist at that time on Doctor Who, I was meeting lots and lots of different directors. And then two of those carried me on to all the stuff they were doing subsequently since then, one in particular. So that led to all sorts of other TV shows and then and then into movies and then up to the most recent thing, which was um, the Luther movie, Luther yeah. TV series and then the movie. So, uh, yeah, that's so it's almost, it's not by design, it was like by accident and yeah. just by getting on well with people Yeah, that they then pull you into their next job. Yeah, I think it stands to a reason, you know, that being nice... Yeah. Is, is something that's that there is a value obviously yeah. you know, the, the uh, given is you've got to be good at what you do yeah. but the thing that ultimately gets you the gig because everybody's good everybody's <laughs> looking for work and everybody's good but what's get, what gets you the gig is that you're the easy guy to work with yeah <laughs> yeah don't don't don't, uh, don't bug them I suppose isn't it um, right let's I, I'm just going to get a bit of room time from this audio because this song is going to get my episode struck I think hang on so let me see if I can suppress this a bit oh perfect timing so that's when he wants to stop oh okay well I'll work I'll fix it in post as they say um okay so yeah fa- it's really um it's, it is quite interesting where you've said you know none of this stuff is linear and and the thing is what I had set out in my brain about how I'm going to structure this conversation perhaps as much as anyone can really it was a kind of linear uh, but it doesn't well, work that way not linear because I can't remember it in yeah. order <laughs> well that, that, you, know, oh, you and me both then um, I can't remember the questions that I wrote down like <laughs> half an hour ago uh, well okay so uh, the TV film stuff um, yeah it is interesting how you got to them we've kind of it's kind of like the latter part of your lives I suppose um Let's go back to, uh, well, my childhood, uh, 80s. Um, Let's go back to the comic book stuff, because we are at a Transformers convention. Um, So let's talk a little bit about Transformers, because what I really like, actually, is the fact that we've got so many British creators that were so influential on the, the, you know, the the comics, um, and how that influenced the American side. Now, I know you guys, the listeners here, didn't hear your talk from earlier, but you touched on um, uh, the, you know, what the Americans expected of you as an artist, as a visual artist, um, and how that differed to what you were used to over here. And Simon, I suppose I'll, I will come to you as well and ask, because you did a bit of stuff over there, or did they just take the UK stories and... I mean, the UK stuff, writing the UK stuff made me kind of the go-to guy when Bob Budiansky left Transformers US. And, you know, Bob just, you know, there just wasn't a kind of writer who was going to step in. You know, I think the editor at the time was just, you know, so worried about finding a writer willing to jump in at this stage of Transformers. And Bob just said to him, well, look, I know a guy in in the UK who knows it as well as I do, if not better. So you know, we'll just I'll I'll just ask him if he wants to write it. And so, you know, Bob came over to the UK one time. We went we went to lunch, 
and he just talk, asked me if I wanted to take over from him, and it was as it was as casual as that, and so you know that got me my foot in the door at Marvel, and that led you know obviously I wrote Transformers and Transformers Generation Two for them, but I also wrote Alpha Flight and What If and She Hulk, and you know Annihilation Ronan and brute force and a whole bunch of other stuff so it was really the door opener for me you know because what I really wanted doing a bit like Andrew was I wanted to be writing superhero comics I'd grown up reading those comics I'd grown up reading I wanted to put Spider-Man in a comic so badly so you know a few issues into my Alpha Flight run Spider-Man shows up because I was just desperate to get him into a comic and you know my what ifs all centred around the stories and characters I loved, you know, so I, I took an annual I loved, say an Avengers annual, and, and spun the what if out of that, just so I could play in that little sandpit. So, you know, it, it was always that lo- initial love of comics that drove, you know, the need to be at Marvel producing comics for, you know, Marvel US. Marvel UK, fantastic, you know, it gave me all my break. But the ultimate ambition was always to write for um, for Marvel in America. Yeah, I mean, and did you find a difference in how the Americans worked versus uh, how the UK worked? Yeah, I mean, it was in some ways it was more casual. You know, strangely, I found you know because I was I was over in America, in New York, for about six eight months, something like that. I was in and out of the offices a lot. It was a very relaxed office atmosphere, strangely, you know, considering how many comics they had to get out monthly. It was quite a casual, easygoing, it's not like that now, but it it used to be a kind of thing where I could just turn up and sit in Don Daly's office, you know, working myself on scripts for Transformers while... Bob Brodiansky might be around, or Carl Potts might walk in, or, you know, we just chat, you know, it was a great environment, but the process was different in as much as, up to this point, I'd been working in what they call full script, which is a detail in the script of every panel on every page, you break it down into pages, you break down the panels, you put the dialogue in. In America, they worked a Marvel, what they call Marvel plot style, which was a much looser, almost synopsis of the series. You'd go pages one to three, this stuff happens. Pages five to eight, this fight happens. And it was largely down to the artist to break it down into the panels and decide the flow and where the the big panels would be, where the small panels would be. So, and then you would get the artwork in and have to add the dialogue afterwards. So it was a different process. But it was, it was an enjoyable process when it really worked and not so enjoyable when you put quite a lot into a script and you get a kind of full-page splash of somebody just standing there, you know, which did happen. <laughs> and um, so, you know, it could be frustrating, but it could be incredibly rewarding because you just get back was far better than you'd have if you'd broken it down yourself. The way the artist had interpreted it made it inspirational, I guess. And you had to up your game of of, of the actual, you know, words that people were saying. Yeah, that's fascinating. Um, so, Andrew, your your experience, because you mentioned earlier that maybe it was slightly different. I don't know. Can you can you elaborate? How was what was your experience like? working uh, for the Americans as opposed to the um, <coughs> Brits? 
given how long ago it was, communication was was an issue. Yeah, of course. Um, yeah. Phone because obviously phone calls are at a different time of day, so that was and very expensive, so that was difficult. Mm. Um, and so there's no such thing as email. So you know, faxes had come through, sometimes yeah. barely readable. Uh, <laughs> And then do all the artwork and, you know, pack, photocopy it and then package off all the original artwork and send it by FedEx off to America. You know, fingers crossed it's all going to get there in one piece. <laughs> very, very different process now, yeah. obviously, with internet and scanning and just yeah. emailing stuff. Um, but in terms of the way, the, in terms of executing the, the work, the biggest difference, like Simon said, is the difference between full script and plot style but I, I loved the plot style because it gives you so much more latitude to, to be able to um, just to kind of express things visually in a way that you can add some power and some dynamics the way that you f feel it will go yeah. and, then, and, then, and then a good writer will be able to kind of you know put the finer points of the story on top of that one of the um, one of the things that used to say at Marvel was that if the one advantage with having a, a full script is that you know exactly what the dialogue is so the facial expressions can fit the dialogue yeah with plot style you don't know what the dialogue is so you're kind of guessing a bit and and so they used, used to have this this kind of phenomenon called the Alleluia Chorus which is all the characters would look like just mouth open going ah, <laughs> looking like they're all singing the Alleluia Chorus because they're just like you know screaming in with action or whatever and, and yeah. there was kind of less subtlety but so I was always on a mission to do that just to, just to get so much emotion um, in the faces yeah. and then hopefully that steers the writer because you kind of know where they want to go with it but hopefully that kind of leads into that a bit as well so it's, okay. a, it's a slightly more collaborative though long distance but a slightly more collaborative process so like quite Back and forth, really. So you get the plot, then you draw, and then the dialogue is added in. Yeah, I mean, it's once I've drawn it, it's it's then you know back to the editor, who then obviously speaks to the writer. Mm. Working with Simon, obviously, we would talk because we're both in the UK. But yeah. you know, working for American writers, I I never met some of the writers that I worked with. Really. Um, I did in subsequent years later, you know. <laughs> but not at the oh, time. Oh, hi, you know. <laughs> yeah, I did that um, thing. Yeah, but it was a lot of fun. And it was it was such an opportunity to be able to work for Marvel US because, like yeah, Simon, we're similar age. We grew up, yeah. you know, collecting those rare to find American comics. Yeah. And just loved them because of their scarcity as much as anything else. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so to eventually work for Marvelous was amazing. And, and Transformers was the stepping stone, mm. which then for me led on to G.I. Joe. Yeah. Still a toy book, not proper Marvel. <laughs> then they asked me to do <coughs> X-Men Adventures. So it was X-Men, but it was based on the cartoon. So still not proper Marvel. <laughs> and then I worked on a couple of Spider-Man books. And it's like, yeah, this is it. <laughs> <laughs> you, you've arrived. I've arrived, yeah. yeah. Um, Let's go back to okay, just to just to uh, finish it off, I suppose, to round this all off because I'm, I'm conscious of your time. Um, 1986, the Transformers, the movie, the animated film comes out. Um, what I know that you know, I, well, I remember that influencing the comics as they, 
you know, uh, integrated the new characters and everything. But what were your thoughts when you saw that film? Simon? Uh, yeah, well, I mean, first we read the script, you know. We, so you'd already we, seen... You'd we, already we, we had to because we needed our storyline to more or less coincide with when the film was going to be in cinemas. Wow. Okay. So we saw a quite early draft of the script, which is why the story we came up with is called Target 2006, yeah. well, and yet favorite. the animated movie starts out with, it is the year 2005. <laughs> so, you know, so, you know, obviously the early draft, it had been 2006, but that notwithstanding, you know, it, it gave us, I mean, the biggest thing we got out of the animated movie, because really it, it popped up at UK cinemas and disappeared almost as quickly as it had arrived. You know, it, it didn't make a big splash, I think, that I guess Hasbro were hoping it would. But, you know, all the kids who saw it remember it with huge fondness. And for us, it was, we knew Marvel US weren't using those characters, the future cast, in their storylines. So it freed us up to, uh, to be able to tell stories without that limitation of... Some, they might change something down the line in yeah. the US story that will contradict. Yeah. So we suddenly had the freedom to tell stories, stories with bigger scope and yeah. reach because we had this. We could jump forward into the future, with, yeah. with completely safe in the knowledge that the US comic wasn't going to drop in a storyline with Galvatron. Yeah. So it, it freed us up. It gave us a new cast, our own cast, and kind of the com- UK comics identity all came out of the movie and even though the movie bubbled up disappeared again the new leaders Galvatron and Ultra Magnus were our sort of platform for you know hundreds of issues that followed really or you know a couple of hundred issues later we're still finishing off the kind of the future movie storyline yeah. so it was a big deal for the UK comic That's interesting. and the editor is solely in charge of continuity is it like how how are you guys negotiating the continuity well an, e- an editor's job is more or less to get the comic out the door okay on time you know he's the overseer he or she will oversee every process on it from the design to the layout you know there are designers and there are other people who work on it but it's the editor's responsibility in the end to deal with what advertising goes in the the content you know they they're the ones who will prepare a page plan for the comic they're the ones who will commission artists writers they are the ones who will do the editorial copy you know so there's a lot of lot of jobs to do you know they're in charge of the budget to a certain extent so you know it it costs a certain amount to get a comic out it costs however much 33 pence at the time or something to buy you know you've got to balance your budget you've got to produce a comic under a certain level so it's profitable in the end so there's lots of jobs and one of those is to oversee any origination of comic strip material and for that, you have to be a bit of a all-rounder in terms of you have to understand the story needs. You have to be able to critique artwork. You have to say, is it good enough? Do we need more of this, less of that? You have to liaise with colorists. You have to employ the letterer. You have to proofread everything. So there's a lot of, you know, strings to the bow of an editor. You know, and it's really, you know, if if you miss your print to print date you know it's probably your ass on the line yeah 
Yeah. Uh, Andrew, what about yourself in terms of, um, I suppose, influence and your thoughts when it came out? I, I had, well, until I started drawing the comic, um, I didn't have any knowledge of Transformers at all. Well, so I hadn't okay. seen the movie. Um, I saw it once I started, you know, once I started drawing the comic. But I was kind of late to all of that in a way. Okay. Um, so I just got it all in one. <laughs> <laughs> Downloaded one it all at swipe, once. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, um, I thought the movie was great, though, when I watched it. It's like, this is amazing. You know? yeah. um, and the movie influenced the way that I was drawing it. I mean, some of the people who were working slightly prior to me, like Jeff Senior and um, Lee Sullivan and the others were doing stuff before that weren't they so they were working from different reference reference material but mine was very much influenced by the movie and then kind of you know running from there really yeah okay um just to finish up then uh any advice for any youngsters i know it's so cliche isn't it but you be so i know it's a different world that we're living in now and like you know you've got things like self-publishing and all that but um if you had to give one piece of advice to somebody, say, coming, uh, let's say, uh, somebody in high school, you know, so 13, 14-year-old who's thinking, I want to I wanna go into comics. Um, this is what I want to do with the rest of my life. Um, what, what would you give? Well, in terms of finding out how the structure of comics work, you know, the layout and, you know, all that kind of stuff, there's plenty of books and YouTube videos on how to do that thing. The one thing you really need to be responsible for yourself in terms of your, your own development as an artist, if you want to work in, in comics or in storyboarding as well, is you need to take on the fact that you need to be able to draw anything from any angle quickly. So, you know, sit in a room, draw people, draw furniture, you know, draw cars, or just practice drawing people as much as anything and just practice, practice, practice and that is, that's the most powerful tool you'll have in your box okay. and Simon, from a writing perspective well, I mean, my flippant answer is always have a plan B because it's, <laughs> it's absolutely not as easy as people think it's going to be you know, you know, we, you know even our experience, our level there's a lot of people chasing not enough assignments and jobs really so getting your break is tough but I think you know Andrew's completely right that if you get the basics right if you hone your craft don't go in too early don't think you're a great comic artist without you know putting in the hours putting in the hard graph learning to draw from life I think is the biggest thing a lot of artists I think these days learn to draw from comics so you can they, you can see they've been inspired by other artists, other other comics, but you need to learn the real fundamentals. You need to learn, you know, everything, how musculature works. Uh, Will Simpson, an artist um, who worked for us on Transformers and then moved on to Judge Dredd and other comics, he used to uh, buy, and he swears it's only for the reference, <laughs> he used to buy muscle magazines, you know, those yeah, big bodybuilding yeah. magazines, because yeah, it showed him how, you know, over sort of worked musculature actually looks, how it would function. And it may, he said, you know, he was able then to draw superheroes because he understood what normal human body musculature would look like if it was sort of pumped up to that degree so I think you've just got to you've got to put in the hard graft you've got to be prepared for knocks and setbacks and 
most fundamentally, you've got to listen to advice. You know, a lot of, when I sometimes review portfolios, I can see the, the back go up immediately when I criticise. But you've got to be able to take criticism. You've got to understand that the people you're sitting in front of or standing in front of have been doing it for a lot longer than you have. And they probably understand the fundamentals of storytelling. I, I critiqued a portfolio just recently at a convention and you know I, I explained that you're, you're a director you've got to draw the reader's eye into it he had two characters talking and they're just there and I said well if I were you I would have had one of them walking into scene you know from the foreground into the scene leading your eye to the character who's just about to speak so that you're you're you just pull the reader in and you know he did think that was a good advice you know yeah. but that's the kind of thing that you only get by experience by listening and just by thinking about what you're trying to do you're like a director of a comic book you know yeah. you're you're a director you're the director of photography you're all those things when you're a comic book writer let alone an artist you're always thinking somewhat cinematically um, thank you both very much. Uh, thank you for your time. Very welcome.